This episode is brought to you by Think Water Broom. Think Water are your local water experts for irrigation projects big and small. Their fully stocked retail store sells the latest irrigation products, including fittings, pipe, filtration and solar supplies. Covering the Kimberley and Pilbara regions of Western Australia, their knowledgeable and passionate team are experts in the design and implementation of the most water-efficient irrigation and water management programs across all sectors. Listening to the Central Station Podcast, where we bring you stories of what life in the outback is really like and why many wouldn't live anywhere else. So pull up a stump, pop the billy on, or crack a cold one, as we talk to the men and women who call some of the most remote parts of Australia home. Welcome back to the Central Station Podcast. I know I say this a lot, but I am really excited to bring you today's episode. Since she was knee-high to a grasshopper, Tyler Bonish knew she wanted to work with cattle and horses. She didn't travel to the north for a gap year, but to start her career in the pastoral industry. In this episode, Tyler and I speak about her time in the industry so far, and how she moved into the role of head stockwoman at Victoria River Down Station in the Northern Territory. In particular, we speak about her experience in a leadership role as a woman and what she's learnt so far. As I usually do, I started off our conversation by asking Tyler what she was currently watching, reading or listening to. I'm currently watching Suits, which is on Netflix, um, just in case I ever have to defend myself in law. So is that that's the one with Meghan Markle, isn't it? Yeah. Okay, and so you're watching it for the law background, not for Meghan Markle. Yeah, law. One hundred percent. Probably the only person not watching it for Meghan Markle. I reckon. Like, I reckon I am. Yeah. <laughs> you're like, how can I learn like skills to become a lawyer? Whereas every other woman is like, how can I learn to be like Meghan Markle and marry a prince? <laughs> yes, yes. But anyways, just definitely the law side. Okay. Definitely. Sure, I'll take your word out of it. <laughs> Um, and what about well, reading? So, fifteen hundred down the Murrindjai at the moment. So, what is that? Well, I mean, it sounds a bit self-explanatory, but yeah. I guess if if people hadn't heard of it before, it might not be fifteen hundred. What and what is the Murrindjai? Um, well, the Murrindjai is like not very far from me. Obviously, it's only a hundred k's to one hundred ten to Toppy, and then yeah, that's sort of the Murrindjai, I guess, is what they call it. And they this young fella pulled up at a at Elliot and met two blokes and then decided to go driving and he was coming to Darwin or Catherine for something. I haven't obviously two pages in. I don't know too much just yet, but it's fairly detailed and it's obviously about a driver and he was young and then, yeah. Cool. When When is this, like, so it's based on a true story? Yeah, yeah. And what, like, decade would that, that have been? 50s in? or 60s, I Oh, think. cool. Okay, yeah, yeah. So I like that sort of stuff. Yeah, awesome. All mm. right. Now, I'm sure our listeners have no doubt picked up on your accent. Oh. Um, I, I'm saying that in a nice way because <laughs> I'm from the West and we speak like this. Uh, <laughs> where are you from? Where does this um, accent come from? So I'm from a little town called Injun, Queensland, which is about 90 kilometres north of Roma. Okay. So you're from Queensland. Uh, let's start there then. Are you from a property? Are you are you just from town? Yeah. How? So um, family has a few properties around Injun. I think there's six or seven around there. It's probably more six. Um, yeah. So I just we grew up, we grew up chasing cows and riding horses and feeding dad's dogs and things like that and. Um, that was the chore to go feed dad's dogs and oh it was actually yeah probably one of the better jobs was to go feed dad's dogs um and yeah just 
grew up just living the country life, I suppose. So did you go to school in town or did you have to go to boarding school? Um, so both. I went to year seven in Indian State School. <laughs> And um, then Dad sent me away to the Rockhampton Grammar School for five years, which was, yeah, that was they were some tough years. I don't think I didn't cry for the first three years. Oh, no. Yeah. Why, was it just feeling homesick? Or? Yeah. Missed Dad way too much and the horses and the dogs and the cows and, oh, you know, just missed being free range, I suppose. Um, yeah, just really... Missed that, and then, but by the end, the last two, and I had my license, and then sort of found my my group, I guess, and then, um, yeah, I loved it. I really, really enjoyed my last two years. Would most of the kids at boarding school be other farm kids, or were there non farm kids there too? So there was non farm kids as well, and then there was all pretty well all the boarders were farm kids. Um, which was really good. We always had something to relate to when we got back from holidays. Like, oh, my dad did this. Well, no, my dad did this, you know. <laughs> so we always had something to relate back to. But um, there was 125 or 130 in my class. I think about 40 of us were boarders, and that's boys and girls. So we had a lot of day students there that, yeah, had absolutely no idea that you know, your rump steak that you buy at the grocery store comes probably from one of us, you know. Yeah. So they were all good kids. Like nobody ever sort of, oh, there were a few, yeah, but no one ever really did anything bad. So how did you kind of push past that, home, or maybe you didn't push past the homesickness? Like how did you cope with that as such a young child? I suppose, like you said, there were other kids you could relate to, but overwhelmingly the kids weren't kind of, I had the, didn't have the same experiences as you, but there's so much you can also do at boarding school, I suppose. Yeah, so, like, you can do sports and things like that, but we were never rich. Like, so Dad was always like, you're not to do a sport unless you're going to stick at it. And um, so then it wasn't until year 10 when things sort of did start looking up for me and I stopped, stopped crying or whatever um, that Dad let me play netball and that just 100% took my mind off it. Like, we were the best in our grade so for that year and which was awesome like I had a great team of girls and all different girls but yeah it was good like definitely getting your mind off it and then probably athletics was probably the most reason why I cried. Athletics is why you cry. Yeah. Why? Tell me. I, I thought sports was something good to distract you. Well it was but like I loved um so um, this is where my shot put career probably took off mainly. Okay, so I don't think I've ever met anyone. I was not expecting those words to come out of your mouth. <laughs> my shot put career. Yeah. Um, um, I don't even know if, yeah, okay, I, Olympics, so that's it. I guess this is how people get to the Olympics. Yeah, so we're like, we, um, yeah, like I was in year nine or might have been just before year 10, I was. The qualifier to go to the Rio Olympics was like 15 metres, 20 or whatever, and I was throwing at 16 metres. So I was a pretty well a shoe in and um, To go to the Olympics? Yeah, if I wanted to. And, that you know, we backdate that even further back to when I was in Indian and um, shot put was a really good, you know, like this rural girl that all she ever knew was cows, horses and feeding her dad's dogs and here she is winning gold medals at the Pan Pacific Games. So, yeah, there's three rounds of, well, your first round's three rounds and then you obviously they take their f best eight and then it's like finals. Then you do another three puts, I suppose. <laughs> three puts. And, um, yeah, that's the decider of who wins and I won it by one centimetre against this girl that was six foot tall and growing a beard. And I was, oh, my God, I didn't know what to do like I was just this short staunch little girl that didn't have a beard <laughs> and um <laughs> you're just like trying to tie your ponytail on your chin yeah. like look what I've got <laughs> yeah like oh god like it was scary and the best thing was my grandma was the biggest supporter for it and she made my dad come down for it which he was definitely not su so supportive of the really well no he always had our back but I just don't think 
he knew deep down that that wasn't the career I was going to pick. Yeah. So, and that's, I suppose that's where it all started, you know. Like I, when I went away to boarding school, I was going to gym five times a week and, and there was just no real life outside of shop putting. And it come to a point that it was just like, yeah, it felt like I wasn't allowed to go mastering with dad on holidays and things like that. And that's probably where my athletics career stopped and I was like, well, no, I, I want to ride my horse. I want to chase my cows on my holidays. And Do grandma, you- grandma, yeah, as sad as she was, she definitely sees that I made the right choice now. So that's good. Do you think when you say you felt like you weren't allowed to do those things on school holidays, is that because you had to be spending the time training? Yeah, yeah. And if I fell off my horse and broke my, what they called the golden arm, well, there was, you know, if I'd already qualified to go to state, well, and I'd broke my arm, well, then my chances were gone. So it was a very serious, like it was very serious for a 12-year-old at the time. So it was pretty cool. It was something to tick off the book, something to tell the grandkids, I suppose, eh? Yeah. So even though you had this incredible career ahead of you as or opportunity, I suppose, as a very talented shop putter, <laughs> is that is that what you got, a shop putter? Yeah, shop, shop yeah, putters? shop putter, shop, shop yeah. Shop putter? Yeah. Oh, is it? No, <laughs> shop putter, putter yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, you, so you said you gave it up because you really wanted to come back to ag and focus on cattle and horses. Was your plan just to take over the family farm and come work at home? Or? Originally, yes. Like, So my grandparents really wanted me to just stay at home and um, get a bit more mature before I, went up, before I come up north and blah, blah, blah. And How old were you when you left school? Um, 17. So did you finish year 12? Yeah. Okay. So, yeah, I had my 18th birthday, like, the year, February the year after, and it was, like, in that time, like, my granddad was telling my dad, like, no, let her stay, and then Dad's like, I'll never forget at Grandma and Granddad's house, and and Dad just said, no, she needs to go. Like, this is the only way she's going to grow up. We need to get her out of here. All right. So you, I suppose you were supported in heading off into the workforce yes. by dad, which yeah. is a pretty big thing, I suppose. So Yeah, so dad actually drove me up to Catherine to um, where we had our inductions for where I was going and um, then I put him on the plane into Darwin and, yeah, I give him a hug and a kiss at the airport and I'm not really good with goodbyes, so I bawled my eyes out. Oh, no, it's boarding school all over again. <laughs> yeah, yeah, pretty much, and... And, yeah, Dad just said, you know, no matter what you do, we'll be proud of you. Just go and do it. Okay. So you, this was this would have been the start of your first year out of high school and you got a job on a station. Yeah, yep. Tell me about your first – I mean, I suppose you said you went to somewhere, you had an induction. Like, what was it like, you know, was it kind of like boarding school all over again where you're like, who are these people? I'm so far away from home. Yeah, so I had absolutely no idea who anybody was. Like, everybody else sort of had, you knew of a friend, knew of a friend that was coming, and I knew no one. And I rocked up there, and I was like, oh, God, like, scared out of my brain. And, um, yeah, just, obviously, I like to talk a little bit, so I sort of just started talking, and I love a beer, and that's the best place to have a chat is when you're around the rec club, and then got to know a few people, and... Yeah, my first year was an absolute cracker. I loved it. We, yeah, I had a great, great group of people around me, I guess. And, um, yeah, Cameron Butt ran the camp at the time. And me and Butt are still really good friends today, which is great. I love him. Um, and, yeah, like there were so many other people. Like there was 12 of us, I think, or 10 or 12 of us in the camp. And, um, yeah, we had a great time. That was definitely the best year, definitely. Was it what you were expecting? God, no. In what way? Well, like, I knew, you know, because my dad went up north and he stayed in Queensland. He obviously didn't come over to where I went over to. But he, um, yeah, always well, said, you know, big big numbers, big walks, blah, 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 and... I sort of knew, but I just, I guess not until you're there and you're living it and breathing it yourself, you don't actually quite understand, <laughs> like, 
yes, you will be on this horse for 30 kilometres a day or, yes, you will run that backyard all day and, like, you know, and then there's so such a stepping, like, you got to step up to be better, I suppose. So, like, you know, first years always ran the race and banged out, like, and vaccinated. So that's what you did and if you showed you know that you were good at doing that and well then you might get to go in the round yard or you might get to go in the backyard or you know like yeah it was it was really to come from home where like literally you know you just knew where you were like dad always drafted so I would always be in the backyard my sister would always be on the sticks because there's no real pound at home and yeah, to go from just knowing where you're meant to be to actually being told to where you've got to be, it was like, oh, righto, okay, cool, <laughs> no worries, <laughs> um, which was really, really good, and it just, it actually just made me love it more. Like, I, I just honestly acted like I didn't know anything and just worked and worked and worked until I showed my headstockman and my leading hand at the time that yeah, I could actually go into the backyards and things like that. So that was pretty cool. How long did you stay in that job for? Did you just go up for the season? Um, no, so I went back for a second year, um, which obviously <laughs> was even better because a lot of us also went back. So, yeah, it was like our first year all over again, but um, the headstockman at the time was Jake Hicks and he – if anybody on this podcast knows Hixie, he is, he, yeah, he makes you work for everything. And I honestly look up to him for that. Like, yeah, he, if you know, if you thought you were good, well, he'd make you prove it, you know? So if you just sat there and was like, yes, Jake, no, Jake, okay, Jake, you know, like he'd be like, yep, righto, no worries, but yeah, he just really made me want to strive to be better, I guess. Can you paint a picture for me of what that actually looked like, though? Like, <laughs> it, it, I'm just trying to imagine if I was there, like, does he just, is it that you're not getting any praise and you, you're you trying to work harder to get some praise or he's making you do something? Or, like, what is he, how does he actually, what is he doing to make you want to so Jake, be better? If Jake knew you didn't like doing something, he made you do it. And you'd have to put a smile on your face and be like, no worries. I'll do that, and that's what he liked. Guess, there was yeah. no back chat, and you never back chat at Jake. Like, and well, I never did. I had utmost respect for him. Like, and like, I was, I was scared of him. I suppose, like, he would, you know, we'd run back to fill the backyard, and, and he would run. You know, if you weren't running, you weren't trying hard enough. So, and that's that's probably what I love most about him is that, yeah, like he just. And if he knew you didn't like something, he'd make you do it. And if you did it with any little bit of sass, back chat, anything, well, he'd make you do it for a month. You know what I mean? Like, that was just... And he'd never try to be like that, but that's just how he was. Like, if you annoyed him, he'd make you do the thing that you hated the most. And um, it's probably where I get most of my <laughs> stuff from today. But um, it worked, hey? Like, pretty cool. And I just loved that environment, like... Yeah, and I guess, yeah, just wanting to strive better and strive for greatness, and that's that's all Jake ever did, you know. Like, he just always used to be like, you know, don't ever let anything beat you, and I'll never, ever forget that in my life. Like, it didn't matter whether it was straining that wire or trying to get that cow up or riding that horse. Like, he just said, don't ever let anything beat you, and if you were satisfied at the end of the day, so was he. And that was, yeah, probably even my first headstock and, like, um, Cameron Butt, like, you know, like, he just knew people. Like, you could go to Buttsy and pour your heart out and, you know, it would never bother him. Like, and he, yeah, like, he, it would never bother him about anything. Like, whatever you went to him with. And as long as you did your job, Buttsy was happy. You know what I mean? Like, and you just wanted to get up and go to work for him as well, you know, like, Two very, very different headstockmans, but still the same respect. Like, uh, there was never a day I woke up and was like, God, I never want to go to work for this yeah. person. You know what I mean? Like, I just love working for both of them. Well, fellas, if you're listening, uh, we're putting you on notice now. <laughs> we're coming for you with a microphone. <laughs> oh, God, I hope they never listen to this. <laughs> 
I'm pretty sure somebody will be texting them as soon as they're listening to this. Like, yeah. hey, fellas, yeah. skip forward to this part of the episode. It's what we're talking about, yeah. <laughs> yeah, definitely, 100%. <laughs> Can't wait for that email. <laughs> email, email. Inbox. I'm pretty sure it'll be like an aggressive voicemail. <laughs> yeah, uh, a very angry Snapchat. <laughs> anyway, so that's your second year out in the camp. Now, if people have read the title of this episode, they're probably going to guess that you're still working on stations. Yeah, a few years later. But for a lot of people, it's you know you come up for especially straight out of school for one year. Um, sometimes you know it gets under your skin you know, and in your blood. So you might hang around for a second year and then it's time to go back to real life and go back to whether, you know, it's a family farm or go to uni or go get a job or whatever, even though this is a job. Um, you didn't. I always knew wherever I went, I was just going to chase cows and ride horses. That's all I have, I have ever known. So after my second year, I did take a year off from the north, which nearly killed me but we'll get back to that later um and so I just worked around home contracting and blah 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 etc um didn't it just wasn't you know wasn't where I wanted to be so funnily Jay Kicks messaged me and was like um what are you thinking about doing next year and I was like oh god I don't know what do you got a job and he said yeah I'm gonna run the camp at Lejeune would you like to come and I was like bloody oath so i packed up my six horses six six dogs sorry and two horses and um yeah went all the way up to lejeune and yeah almost did the year there and i and i went to a camp draft and unfortunately had an accident there and which threw a massive spanner in the works so you don't really know what you're going to do when you're injured and then like you know you never want to let the team down, so that's all I felt I was doing. Can I ask, what injury was it? Um, so I cracked a little bit of my collarbone right at the end here. Yeah, so that would have put you on pretty light duties. Like It's not like you can really jump up on a horse or even push a slide gate. Yeah, yep. So that put a bit of a spanner in the works, and um, luckily, actually, my grandma was up visiting at the time. So we went on a week holiday and then then I jumped into taking another job, which it was sad to leave. Like, it was really sad to leave Hixie and the team there. And um, But I felt like I was going to be more resourceful, I suppose, where I was going. So, yeah, which was just office side of things, obviously, with a broken uh, wing. Yeah. yeah. Um, That's which, pretty cool, though. Had you ever had the chance to do that see that side of the business before of the industry no so which was actually a massive eye-opener for me um since I hadn't looked at a computer since school and these days you know that really helps when you do have a little bit of knowledge in that sort of stuff so yeah jumped on that and then I was determined to get better I was determined you know to make sure my injury come back a hundred percent then I just got this sudden urge that I wanted to be a headstock person. What made you want to be a headstock person? Well, actually, probably Jay Kicks and just looking at and and Cameron Butt, like looking at all my peers and and just knowing you, know, you can always be better. So then I put in some job applications in the territory to. Be, become a headstock person and um yeah sort of got knocked back a little bit from them and so I was feeling really sorry for myself as naturally you do how, how did you feel when you were getting was it just were you getting to the interview stage and then not progressing or not even getting a call back to begin with not even getting a call back to begin with just an email like sorry you won't progress on blah 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 what Which, what did you think? Like, oh, I, I think naturally you would have thought, oh, it's because of this or because of that. What did you think was holding you back or stopping you from progressing? Um, honestly, just at the start, it just felt like I wasn't good enough, which was a very hard pill to swallow because, you know, I'm a very confident, outgoing, you know, like, and I've probably never been so down about it. And, um, and so you had four years' experience at that yeah. By that stage, and you would have been going into your fifth year. Yeah. 
And then I got a um, message from a close friend of mine, Jordan Perry, and he just said, oh, mate, um, I'm going to this place and these people are looking for Ed Stockman. Do you want to have a go? And I was like, oh, Jesus, like it feels like, you know, I went through the stage of, you know, feeling not good enough and then all of a sudden these people don't even know me and then... Yeah, we'll give you we'll give you a crack sort of thing. So I, uh, Jordan was just like, "All you got to do is send your email, like your resume here to this email, and see how you go." And then I got a phone call from Brent Sneesby, and so he was the assistant manager at VRD at the time, and I'd done a little bit of work with Brent through my first few years, and um, yeah, he was just more or less like, "Yep." Um, so we're pretty interested in giving you a job. And I was like, whoa, whoa, whoa. We're like, do you know, like, you know, I've never ran a camp. I've never done anything with great responsibilities, blah, blah, blah. And he was just like, yeah, that's fine. Like, we're willing. And then um, Russell Richter gave me a call <laughs> and was more or less like, you've got the job. And I was, holy Jesus. Where where are you? What are we doing? Like, you know, and obviously I knew VID, like I drove past it on my way to camp drafts and things like that, but didn't know the people, didn't know anything, and I'm sure to this day Rusty had no idea who I was. <laughs> and, um, yeah, it was just more or less like we want to a, take a limb out on you and, yeah, if you're willing, come down. And I was right oh, no worries. So packed up again and... <laughs> come all the way down to VRD and it's where I reside today. Now, I know, I'm trying to think of the night, well, not the nice way, the politically correct way, I don't know, the way to say this. It's 2020, so I know some people think, well, we shouldn't even be having this conversation. It shouldn't even be a thought. You know, it's 2020. No, it's 2021. No, 2020 is behind us. Gosh. Oh, no, well, I guess it was 2020, I suppose, when you got the job. Yeah. But I think... So from my experience, you know, it's only been like a little over a decade in this industry is that for a lot of people, so head stockman, you need to have a certain level of experience and you, you tend to work your way up and become head stockman at a place you've already been working at, that you've already been for like at least a year. So they know you and then, you, you know, then you can move up to head stockman. But there are people who can be hired, you know, <laughs> straight off the bat as head stockman, you know, unknown as a new employee. But I feel like don't know if I'm going to ruffle any feathers, but I feel like it's if, – if I was talking to a bloke right now, I wouldn't even be I'm like, oh, yeah, cool, whatever. It's like, yeah, you just yeah. applied, they hired you, you know, brand new employee as head stockman or whatever. But when I first met you, which was yesterday, I was like, wow, they hired a female head stockman without even, like, meeting her. Like, that's, you know – and I and then I was like, Steph, come on, it's 2021, like, calm down. But really – as far as we've come, industry really hasn't come that far. Yeah. So, and then I think, and then when you talk about how Jordan actually put you up for the job, so not only are they willing to give you a chance as a woman, which I know I feel like you shouldn't just having to be add that bit on the end as a woman, <laughs> but it was another bloke who put you up for the job. Yeah. And I think that just speaks volumes. I mean, Hatesbury, from my previous role with um, the ag department in WA, Hatesbury has a great reputation. I mean, I kind of only knew of the, like, worked with the WA properties. Hatesbury within industry has a has a pretty good rep. But now I just think like that, and, you know, from being here the last couple of days, like, it speaks volumes to... Yeah, so... To give you a chance like that, which is the same... You deserve the same chance as a bloke, but... <laughs> yeah. But obviously, you weren't like, you know, some people just don't, you know. Not everyone's up to 2021 20, yet. No, that's exactly right, which... And it probably wasn't just Jordan. Like, um, Jay Kicks and Brent know each other from way back in their stone ages. Yeah. So little did I know that um, Jake had put in a glowing reference for me as oh. well. And um, so did Jordan. And then it was, you know. No. So it just goes to show the character of Rusty, you know. like, And, I, you know, he's had women headstockings before. Like, he had Kayla Kernoff for, I think, four or... I could be wrong here and she's probably going to message me after she hears this, but for some years and, you know, and, yeah, to take another chance on someone that I'm still sure that he had no idea what he was stepping into and I didn't either. So it just goes to show, like, it shouldn't be that 
you know, clay it, it, it shouldn't be yeah. that we're like, wow, you got the chance. Like, you know, yeah. that, that we're even talking about this. Yeah. Because if I was talking to a bloke right now, we would not be talking about this. Yeah. So. But here I am going, wow, look at like. And I, but on the one hand, it is great. You know, I think it speaks to the character of, yeah, Jordan, Rusty, just hates where I suppose, and the people they're employing, that they've got managers and whoever else that are willing to, that are thinking outside the box and being progressive, even though that probably is the minimum we should be expecting from everyone. But I just know there's so many people out there that will barely let a girl in the camp, let alone, you know, yeah. or, if, or if you're a girl in the camp, you're just tallying or you're just this or, and God forbid, you know, and if somebody needs a hand in the kitchen, like, when do you all, you know, hand to the kids, when do you ever see, I'm sorry, a jackaroo or, ring or male ring or whatever get pulled out of the bloody camp to go yeah. and do anything domestic? But yeah. if there is a girl on the camp, she's the first one to get pulled out to do that. Can you and tell that, I'm on the high no, horse right now? <laughs> no, I, I 100% agree. But so, like, uh, yeah, like last year was my first year running camp and being a girl and, I said to everybody before they got here, I said, look, don't not push that cradle because you don't think you're strong enough. Don't not try and dehorn. Like, if I can do it, and I know not calling myself superwoman, I know I'm a lot different to a lot of other women. Like, I'm fairly built and, you know, and, and you know, like I just said, don't ever think that you're not, you know, step up. Like, don't ever think, oh, I'm a girl, I can't do it. <laughs> yes, you can. Like, don't ever think that, that your gender should stop you. And I feel like I've proved that a little bit this year with, like, yes, I rocked up to a place that I had absolutely no idea. I brought my whole fur family <laughs> and I had no idea what I was bringing them into. And, you know, like, I I worked my heart out, I did my best and... You know, like, that's all you can ask for as a girl. And I just think some women these days just really need to stop thinking that they're so stopped because of their gender, you know what I mean? I think this is a, a really interesting point to, to stop on for a bit and have a chat here, is the idea of... So once I was talking to so Jane Sale, who manages the Central Station website with me, and she also manages 13 pastoral companies in the Kimberley. And they, well, they started with one, and, you know, over the last 10 years it's grown. And I remember her telling me once, you know, obviously it's very important to have men and women on the team. And she said, you know, we don't treat people equally, but we treat them equitably. So, and I didn't even realise the difference between equality and equity. Yeah. And so it's... It's not that we expect everyone to be able to do the exact same thing because, like you said, you know, I can probably, like, you know, as an example, you know, I'm sure if I worked out heaps, I could probably throw the crate all day, but maybe I might not be, maybe I'll be able to do it for a bit, but maybe not all day. And, like, I don't think that should hold it, like, you know, put anyone below because old mate, you know, Mr. Muscles over here can do it all day. <laughs> but I guess it's about finding how everyone's got something to bring. But also, I think that's really interesting because like I said before, as I got on that bit of a tangent, it can just be so easy for people to either think they've got to treat everyone equally and be like, well, you all have to be able to do this exact same thing the same way. Like, yeah. You've all got to be able to throw the cradle, otherwise you're not equal and blah, 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 or you're not as good as each other. Or And then so that's, I think, setting some people up to fail. Um, or they don't treat people equally or equitably, and that's when it's pretty easy for women to just kind of get shafted into those domestic roles. Yeah, um, yeah. Yeah. And even, I suppose... I was really interested. A, a couple of episodes ago, I found out that there are, like, male governesses called governors. Really? Yeah, never met one, but apparently they exist. Oh, that's um, awesome. And even just I've seen some jobs advertised where it's part-time in the stock camp and then one or two days a week kind of as a govy or domestic or whatever. Yeah. But when do you ever, like, so it's it's for a Jillaroo. Never advertise for just, like, stationary. If you're a bloke, do you want to be a bloke? Can you imagine if a bloke spent a couple of days in the camp and then came in? And did that like no yeah. way, like God no, they well, wouldn't. Yeah, and so if you're going to advertise for a job, I think on any place that like, they would just assume, oh, we'll just you know, it's a girl. Like I just, I, I don't know when we move past this, like girl, like you know, we're moving past it in a way that you know, girls roles, boys roles, because we've got female headstock yeah. women, we've got female managers, you know, female pilots, you know, female vets, you know. Whatever, but at the same time, it's like still just so ingrained in us that oh, well, there's something domestic that needs to be done, or or you know, we're heading out to camp. You boys go hook up the trailer, and you girls go make sure that the caravan stocked with all the food we need. And God forbid, you know, if the boys are left in charge, I don't know, but no, like was I don't I don't know I don't know where if I'm just going with this or I'm just going in circles because I'm on a <laughs> tangent. Yeah, no, like I, 
I don't know, like, I always made the boys, like, when we went to camp, it wasn't long, but everybody shared cooking. Yeah. I didn't care whether you're black, white, female, male, whoever I looked at that afternoon, uh, you know, we're getting on, you know, late, like, oi, righto, can you please go make sure we got dinner ready for us when we get home? And it didn't matter who it was. It shouldn't just be women that do it. And I suppose that stems from way back when I was a kid. And, um, like, my granddad always used to tell my dad, like, she's the boy. She's the boy of the family. And, yeah, like, so I suppose that was always sort of, you know, like, Tyler can do that because, you know, she's she's the boy of the family. And, and then it becomes sort of like a match between me and my brother and then me and my brother would always sort of be in competition and then I suppose that my way of thinking sort of come from there. Like, yes, I'm as good as a male. Like, don't. And I I think that's probably stems from my family. Like, I'm no different to my brother and, like, it wasn't that we could work any different to each other because we both could and even my sister. Like, you know, we... We all worked the same. We were all treated the same. And, you know, like, yeah, if I wanted to, brand, like, you know, brand that wiener or hit the cradle, like, yeah, Dad would be like, yep, no worries. Like, it doesn't matter. So I suppose I thought that stigma, I suppose, is the best way to put it, was already up here because I had had it for so many years before I come up here. And then, yeah, like, not that in my first or second year, Jake ever sent me to look after the kids because he knew that definitely wasn't me. But, you know, like, it was still, like, it is definitely still there. Like, um, yeah, you're right. The girl, you know, someone needs to come home, well, it's the girl. Yeah. You know, like, always. And and I guess it's easier, and I guess it's probably more because we've just got a way more adjusting attitude, I think, because, like, yeah, righto, we can go and ride that horse for... 15 kilometres and then get off it and be like sent home because we've got to help around the house, you know, like, which is so, I feel like that's so 1920s, like you've got to go hang the washing out or whatever. But, you know, and I think that's the best thing about where we are now. Like, Rusty and Julie aren't really like that. Like, they don't really care as long as it gets done. Yeah. You know, and yeah. I think that's great. And I think that is Hatesbury's culture to a T because of them. How do you think we go about – so you said you're, you're encouraging and you're giving equal opportunity to the people in your camp, whether or not they're male or female, and encouraging the girls to have a go at things. At the end of the day, sometimes like we can't do – we have differences, whether it's in strength or – uh, the way we think or, you know, just whether we're an organised person. You know, everyone has differences, yeah. like strengths and weaknesses. So I, I for instance, yeah, like I said, I was never particularly great at the cradle. Like – and saying that though, I think I also had a lot of anxiety and I'd give up pretty easy. But my real strength was that I, that morning, like the night before, our vehicles would be fueled up, our water bottles would be filled up, uh, vaccines would all be counted, like we'd have everything you need, like you'd be ready to go. Like I was very organized and I always thought like I would, and it would drive me nuts on one place where my leading hand was younger than me and like I would have to go and fill up his water bottle in the morning because he couldn't do it himself. Like yeah. he would just forget. Whereas he was leading hand, but he could throw that crate all day long. And so it's, I guess, how do you think, how do you think you'll go about it? I suppose this is only your second year, but encouraging everyone to have a go, but then where do you draw the line to go, listen, this girl's, you know, 55 kilos. She's never going to be on the cradle all day. Yeah. She's not, you know, yeah. but maybe she is real, you know, really good at this or that. Or maybe this guy is only, you know, 60 kilos and he's better off running the backyards all day. Or yeah. How do you find, draw that line where you're like, have a go, have a go, have a go, encourage someone and then be like, yes, have a go, but also like, I accept this. I acknowledge your strengths and weaknesses, and this is how we're going to play to your strengths. Yeah. So, luckily, with it being my first year last year, um, the people I worked with probably showed me more that than what I could understand. I suppose, like, I made one girl, and I grilled her. Like, she would always, you know, exactly what you're saying. Like, she'd have water bottles filled, vaccines ready, blah blah blah. Like, she was, you know, make sure that lunchbox was full. You know, like, that was that was her job. And then I'd, you know, come on, get here, have a go at the cradle. And she'd do it and she'd never disagree, good on her. But you could just... 
she never really enjoyed it, I suppose. Like, she'd do it and do it and do it to what I thought was acceptable. But she never really enjoyed it, whereas... But she could be the girl that would sit there and load your tag gun and tag for you and make keep count and, you know, like, make sure we were doing it exactly how, like, our policy's written, you know. And, and then I just sort of, I suppose, instead of trying to grill it into the girls that, yes, you can push that cradle if you want to, like, wake up sort of thing, like, it's okay. It sort of, I sort of took a step back when we come into step second round and was like, actually... You know what, the only reason some people wake up to go to work for the day is because they enjoy doing it. So if I'm going to keep making that poor girl go to that cradle and, you know, she, well, she's not going to want to wake up and work for me, is she? But if you see her on that tag gun and, you know, like she was really good, we were quite a team, you know, like she'd tag tag that wean and then be ready to hand you the dehorn and knife after you'd earmarked and, you know, Nils tagged that steer and, you know, like... She was just, yeah, unreal. Actually, both the girls that were here last year were both really good at that. So I just decided that, okay, righto, you don't have to hit that cradle. Why don't you be somewhere that isn't the backyard where, you know, where most women do go or running the race? Come up here where you are important and needed because we're all a team. We're all important. Like, I shouldn't say, like, women are only exiled to the race in the backyard because that's not really true either, but... I suppose they were to a degree, but just it just won't happen in my camp. Like, I can't, no. Like, I like, yeah. yeah, it's like, so nice to hear that because, you know, how many conversations I've had with people, why why is it always just a girl on the tree test or telling, oh, because blokes can't do it, rah, rah. Well, you know, they've got two eyes and a brain and two, yeah. two hands or whatever. Like, I'm sure they've, they've got through school. I'm sure if you make them <laughs> put in some effort, they and, can and work that tree test. And some blokes, actually, like, that's where they need the help. Yeah. Does that make sense? Like, yeah. Some blokes, yeah, they can hit that cradle all day, work that head belt, run the round yard, you know, yeah. But where they are, you know, lacking if they want to progress through the industry these days is working that true test or doing the tags, making sure it's counted right, you know, like, or doing the vaccine tallies or, you know, you know, and I think you do need to give your blokes a chance to do that, like 100%. I suppose you find yourself in a pretty interesting time and space at the moment in that we've just spoken about how men and women need to stop. We need to stop boxing them into traditional gender roles on stations um, with the work they do and the difference between equality and equity. And, of course, this, you know, there's no, you know, you're a female headstock person or headstock woman. Leadership, you know, you're in a leadership role. So even if we kind of step aside from the fact that you're, you know, let's leave the gender We'll set that aside for a minute and just talk about you as a human being in a leadership role because I think that's something that isn't discussed necessarily as much. There's a lot of people aspiring to be a headstock person or a leading hand manager and it's all about, you know, I can do this with the cattle, I can do this on a bore run, I can fence like this, I can do all these skills, but the biggest part of that role is leadership of people. It has been very tough. Like to go from the camp... To running one was such an eye-opener because it's 5% that cows, horses, etc., and it's 95% people. You know what I mean? So it's, it's you know, you've got to keep a relationship, but you've also got to keep them distance enough so you have the respect, I suppose. Like, you know, we're sitting at my house now. This is my house. This isn't where the camp comes to party. This is, you know, that they have their own, you know, we have a rec club for that and things like that. So establishing that, like, not... Boundaries, I Boundaries, suppose. I suppose, yeah, and which is really hard for me because I was always, you know, in my first years, I was always the one that was like, yes, let's go sit at the front of his house and drink all night, whatever. So painting a bad picture of myself. But, you know, it was just... You know, the fun the, of being in a camp. Like, yes, let's do all that sort of stuff. So I sort of took a step back and my father had always said, never make someone do something that you wouldn't do yourself. And that really hit me in 2020, I suppose, because 
you know, there are some jobs that you're just like, oh, my God, no. I don't want to do that. Like, no way. But I'm not painting a good picture for my people if I don't be like, okay, yes, guys, this is probably one of the crappiest jobs you can do. But if we all just hook in and be Are we talking about flood fencing here? Sorry, (laughs) just got to ask. 100%. Because I hate flood fencing and I've moved to one place that has like 30,000 flood fences on it. Oh, my God. Can't believe I did that to myself. I was just thinking, I was like, what is the worst job? Flood fencing. Mm. (laughs) So um, that really hit me and it was just like, well, yeah. And then another thing also like was, you know, what I said earlier, like, yeah, the struggles of the day are going to get to me. And, you know, you can hold your grudge all night and to the next day if you want, but as soon as we knock off and have a beer and, you know, have a yarn, I'm generally over it, you know, like whatever happened through that day, like now we are friends and I feel like the friends, I suppose, like I don't mean to paint that picture of like we're not friends through the day. No, but it's it's a different boundary because when you work and live together, I mean, if we were – if we were in the city or somewhere else and let's say we all worked at a pub while we're at work, you're my manager or whatever, but then we might catch up outside of work somewhere else off the premises and yeah. then we can be buddy buddy, yeah. come back to work, no, you're still you're my boss, I still gotta Whereas yeah. here it can be very the lines can be blurred so easily and there's a lot of grey area because you live and work, work together, together and, and socialise. And then and, you know, like because Corona this like last year and seems like it's gonna kick off again this year, like so we couldn't get away from each other. So, like, we were fishing together also, you know, we were doing everything together. And, you know, I never wanted someone to look back and be like, oh, God, I'd, you know, I'd never work for her. I, I always wanted people to be like, you know, she taught me a lot. She might have been terribly hard at some things and not so hard on others, but I just wanted people to respect me. Like, that was all I ever wanted, and I suppose Rusty really helped with that. Like, he he really helped in the fact of, like, you know, you need to grow up now. Like, you're not, you're not that person in the camp. Like, you don't have to be, you know, on your high horse about it at all, but you just got to sort of set those boundaries and, and run with them, you know. Like, I think you just, especially... I hate to get back to it, but I always needed to prove myself because I'm like in my own mind because I was a girl. So I wanted respect from the men and the girls. Like I wanted, and mainly I wanted the girls to look at me like I could be, I could be her. And I think great leadership is a, is is your attitude on life, on your workplace, on even just. Even just personally too, like your personal attributes and and commitments and things like that. Like people look at you if you are over riding your horse at five thirty in the afternoon while everybody's sitting at the rec club having a beer. You know, like you're leading them into something, and you know, like you just try and lead everybody into one part of the industry that is greatness. You know, whether it be the landscaping managerial sort of things or, or the cow side of things, you know, you just, and I think you've got to be open. Like, I don't think it matters what time of the day, but if anybody come knocking on my door, I'd, I'd be able to open it and be like, come in, mate, have a drink or let's sit down and have a talk. You know, like I've always had that open door policy. Like, yes, I have a house yard, but it doesn't mean you can't open the gate, you know, and I think that helps a lot of people, like not... Yes, there are boundaries, but it doesn't mean you can't come to that person and be like, hey, I'm having trouble with this, or can you tell me why I didn't get to push that cradle today? And what a lot of people don't realise is that there is always an answer and there is always... Somebody else is always thinking something different. And, And that's, you know, like, you might think, oh, God, they're just thinking this, but... Actually, when you do get into that higher leadership role, you've actually got to start thinking for that other person and being like, okay, right, so they're doing this because of this. So if I react this way, they might give me a little bit more, or, you know, and 
And that's just one thing I think I, well, I really hope I did show last year. And yeah, I just, um, that's, yeah, just something I really stand strongly for. I've got to come back and I really want to tease this apart with you. You said part of how you went about last year is that you felt you had to be, prove, prove yourself and prove yourself as a woman to the girls and to the boys. It's hard enough if you're just, if you're in a leadership role where your gender doesn't really come into it. So say, I don't know, you were working at a hairdressing salon or a beauty therapy and you're the leader there. And so it's leadership, but you know, it's not like, oh, I'm a girl leader because pretty much everyone in a beauty salon is, you know, generally, generally speaking. But so you're, you're trying to navigate being a leader, but then you've got this extra factor weighing in of your gender and your feeling that you need to prove yourself. I just, that must have made it so much harder because also when we, and I want to talk about how you balance your, um, you know, femininity and and leadership and just balancing it. Like, it must have just been an incredible juggling and balancing act because when I think of leader, I think that, you know, some words that come to mind when we think of leadership or leaders are that they're, they have authority and strength, uh, influence, power, and that they're very stoic. Mm. Um, these are you know, just off the top of my head. And really, when you break that down, a lot of words associated with leadership are really masculine words. I think leadership is traditionally a masculine role in, yeah. in anything, you know. And while the rest of the world in all sorts of different industries have certainly caught up and, you know, we've got women prime ministers and vice presidents and whatever, you know, any anything, it's certainly not, you know, as we discussed earlier on, you know, we're still a little bit, we're just playing catch-ups. But here you are feeling like you have to prove yourself. Um, do you ever feel like you had to trade off bits of, of your identity as a, as a woman to prove yourself? No, like, no. Do you ever feel like you had to be tough and like rough no, and one no. of the boys? Or? Well, because I was, I was always one of the boys as, as from as long as I can remember, even through school, you know, like I never got a boyfriend through high school because I was always one of the boys, you know what I mean? So probably not so much now. It just shocks everybody if I ever wear a dress these days. So, um, no, but like it, I can understand how some women do feel like they have to trade some of that off, but I never had to, and I just... And to be honest with you, I don't know whether that's because of the people I have been surrounded by, because I was always accepted that, you know, yeah, Bonnie shall hit that cradle, or, you know, like, back again, Jay Kicks, like, he would he would never, ever let me just vaccinate them wieners, you know. I guess that's what's moulded me to the person I am because you shouldn't have to trade your femininity for, you know, to prove yourself, I guess, to a degree, even though I did just say I did have to prove myself, but I didn't feel I was trading my gender for approval, if that makes sense. Do you ever find yourself ever judging anyone else i'll be honest sometimes i scroll through instagram or i guess a few people have popped up on tiktok lately (laughs) and they're in a work shirt and jeans but they've got like nails like makeup on cute little earrings and i'm like are you here to work or are you just here to like look cute and here i am like pro you know women (laughs) quality all that and i find myself like it's just this ingrained and i have to catch myself and say whoa 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 just because she's like cute and pretty, like I'm probably just jealous. Let's be honest. Yeah. Doesn't mean that she can't get in the hours or don't work the cradle. But I find myself, and I found myself in the past, and had this conversation with other people that it's, and I've you know been judged myself that if you're wearing like a cute bandana and matching earrings or, um, you know certain things like if you're trying to be a bit cute in your job, like well you're not you're just there for the Instagram photos and to look good and you're not actually. Which let's be honest, there are people like that. Yeah. But yeah. that if you do take pride in your appearance and you do try and be a bit feminine in your job, that you're like well you just clearly not as tough and you can't do the work well actually funnily i only thought about this when we were talking yesterday but there's one woman i'd like to actually speak about here with this is um bex thorpe she is um running a camp at the moment and she used to always wear makeup to work as far as i know i think so and but she always still wears her um what is that? Mas- mascara, mascara yep. <laughs> <laughs> she still wears mascara and, you know, she just – and it's never because she wants to feel – oh, I guess 
probably to a degree, she still wants to feel pretty while she's doing the hard yards, but I have seen her scruff big awareness that things that I would sort of second guess at grabbing onto, you know what I mean? And she looks beautiful doing it, I guess. And credit to her, really, but then I do agree with you when you look back on the girls on Instagram and there's, you know, a few girls there, you're like, come on, like, is this a photo opportunity or are you actually going to get in there and get your nails dirty? And It's so hard to draw that line. Yeah, and I think some women like Bex, you know, she doesn't do it for the Instagram story or, or the TikTok and I don't think social media is our friend, you know, a lot of that sort of stuff, you know, yeah. like social media is great with keeping in contact with your family and things like that but... Sometimes it's your worst enemy with things like that, you know, like I've never put on a full face of makeup to take a photo, but, you know, like, and some girls do do it, and I think if that's what they have to do to feel good with him, within themselves, then good on them, or, like, not just good within themselves, but... Yeah, I, I guess it's, it's such a hard, you know, it's such a spectrum, you know, some people enjoy wearing makeup it's a creative outlet other people it can be a bit of a mask or you know there's so many different reasons yeah and like we said there are people who you know say i went through a bit of a, well not a phase but you know last year i was sewing bandanas and making matching earrings and i just <laughs> loved it like everywhere i'd go like every time i'd go out to a station for work i would just love like being like you know just like because you know because you're wearing work shirts and jeans and there's only so much you can do although yeah. some people have come out with you know, a bit more like pattern work shirts or whatever you know, yeah you can kind of get a bit more exciting um and even, yeah, I think I've been wearing pandanas for about eight years now. I'm just like, it's just my one little fashion statement. But then sometimes, you know, and it's one thing that I think we should be able to, and if, yeah, if you want to wear makeup to work, like, go for it. And sometimes people will do it for themselves. Sometimes they'll be doing it for other people. But then there certainly are people out there that sometimes you like, tie up that hair because God forbid you, like, I just get, this, I just always have a vision of, like, somebody getting on the wrong end of a PTO shaft. Like, I'm like, tie up that hair, please put it back. Like, yeah, take yeah. off that jewelry. Like, take it, like, there's certain things that, like, it's one thing to look good at work, but, yeah, like, and it would be great, but some things are actually just dangerous. Yeah, that's um, 100%. True. But I'm trying to, like, it. I think because, like, there are so – it's it's so easy, though, to just look at someone, and that's where I'm finding myself at the moment going, oh, well, you're just doing this for the gram, whereas it could be – I'm not sure – I don't so the name of the lady you just said. I'd hate to think that I could look at a picture of her on Facebook and be like, oh, that's she does, you know, isn't she just pretty, yeah. you know? Yeah. And that's where I find it really hard to, again, like how do we move towards acceptance of how people present themselves and get away from these gender roles? And then I don't think we have enough to figure this out. No, tonight. neither. But I guess, I guess I was wondering, I felt at times that I need to be a bit more, you know, um, like not wear makeup, have my hair on a low ponytail, um, you know, have a bit of a more, like, depending on where I've gone, I've kind of, you know, I'll either, depending on what pastures I'm, you know, what yards I'm going to, who I'm going to see, what job I'm doing, I'll either dress it up a bit more or dress it down a bit more, depending yeah. on how I feel like I'm going to be judged. Well, yes and no. Like, I, I don't know. I feel like I've established enough respect from people that know me and, and anybody that knows me, like, that, yeah, I will, I will brand those wieners for you day in, day out. But, hey, if there's an event on, I will dress up nicely. And I think that's just how you want to, you know, portray yourself. Like, you know, how you want to be seen. And, like, as long as I can get up and go to work whistling, which 110% I do. You've got a 5 a.m. start tomorrow, so I expect to hear whistling. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Okay, settle down. It is the wet season. I know, but... <laughs> Good I know. on, Jordan. Yeah. 5am um, brekkie. You know, so I just... I guess everybody just needs to accept themselves first. Yeah. And I, I think once you accept yourself, everybody else around you will fall in line. And I guess that's another leadership thing too. Like if you... If you are happy with the person that you wake up to be that next morning, then everybody else will fall in line. And whether that be feminine, whether that be matchy band, you know, bandana with your earrings, like, if you are happy to do that, then why should it matter to anybody else? And that's that's probably the biggest thing, I reckon, you know. Like, I, yeah, you need to be confident and firm with yourself before anybody else will be. I... Oh, that's making me emotional because I'm just thinking. 
I'm like, don't cry, don't cry. <laughs> I'm just thinking how many people will listen to this episode, but how many young women who are either already working in a camp or want to go up and work in a camp and how, like, as you were saying that, I just got goosebumps and, like, that is, like, that is just so, whether any, it doesn't even matter if you're on a station or like that, just for life. And for so many of us, we don't figure that out well into our thirties or forties. And that's, like, yeah. That's so, and you know, and you are fairly young. Um, baby just a a little baby yeah yeah just um but to have that insight and to be able to share that with our listeners i'm just um what advice would you say to people listening that want to have a go in the camp and i think strongly like to what i just said like if if you're in a job right now that you aren't waking up in the morning and whistling to go to work or just thoroughly happy to be up and going you know like I every day I wake up and I get so excited about what I'm doing like if you can't wake up and find something good where you are then it's it's time for you to change it you know what I mean like it's and I don't mean to sound like Gandhi or anything like that but yeah I I just think you need to be whistling when you're going to work and you need to do what's right for you and it doesn't matter what that is and it doesn't matter where it is and no matter how much criticism and, and, you know, anything that is involved in today's life, like you just, at the end of the day, the only person that is going to sleep with you is yourself. It doesn't matter if there's somebody else lying beside you because at the end of the day, it's you. It's you over them. It's you over the people you work with. It's you over everything. And if you aren't happy within yourself, well, then you need to do something else. All right. So we're going to get into the last couple of questions. Now, you have a very physically demanding job, and I would not just physically demanding, I think mentally demanding. You know, like we said, it's 95% people management, 5% cattle horses, machinery, everything else. What do you do to look after yourself? <laughs> and drinking beer does not count. <laughs> I, um... Or is that I'm even sure. something that you've really stopped and thought about and made a plan to consciously do yet? Yeah, so I actually... Um, it's going to sound really corny, but I actually... For myself, I really enjoy just having five minutes, ten minutes, half an hour with just my dogs. And it, it is generally on my lawn here, right where we are right now. Um, and I just love, like I always, especially when it's dry season, I put the sprinkler on and I just love to watch them just be dogs. Like they don't, they don't know the stress of your life, but they're always there and they are always... 100% happy to see me like if they could bust out of their cages and be in my bed right now I reckon they would and um and another good thing is I always call my dad when I'm down because as God is as non-emotionally attached as he is he just he's a straight shooter and he will call a spade a spade and and that's and majority of the time when I call in that's what I need and yeah besides the beer (laughs) it's dogs and dogs and dad so I haven't asked I don't think I've really asked anyone else this yet but seeing as now you're in a leadership role but granted you've only been doing that a year I suppose looking into 2021 what are you going to do to look after your crew or your camp what are you are you planning on putting in any kind of practices you know i know some people um like have toolbox meetings or pit and peak or they make they make their crew do stretches in the morning (laughs) or you know like what Um, do you think you will you know start something going forward to have a like a emphasis on looking after your camp i um i definitely think we need to just have a not and it doesn't have to be a toolbox. I just think a general team chat. You know what I mean? Like because at the end of the day, yes, I might be the head stockman, but I'm not the most important person in the room. And 
people need to know that and understand it and and realize that no like everybody's opinion is valued here and with me and um we might have to throw a few stretches in there while we're going <laughs> at it but um but so basically saying making sure everyone feels seen and heard yeah which is and very powerful yeah and i think and yeah like back to what i was saying like that open door policy like you know really emphasize that and and really emphasize the fact that um we are all good people you know what i mean like we're we all can achieve great things. We just need to put our minds to it. And you know what? And a good backing. And if I'm the person that they want to back them, or well, I'll back them. And that's what I want them to take away from this year. Charles Darwin University's Agricultural and Rural Operations team focuses on North Australian production and business systems offering current real-world knowledge and experience by delivering both full qualifications and industry-required short courses. Courses at the rural campus are designed to develop the skills required for work on a North Australian beef cattle property or in the top-end agricultural industry, while providing a sound knowledge base in the pastoral and or agricultural industries. They have dedicated staff who specialise in workplace training and assessment and recognition of prior learning. They will come to you and they service some of the most remote areas in the Northern Territory. Find out more at cdu.edu.au.